Hello and welcome to Shark Brain, a podcast that discusses things with musicians, actors, creative types, all sorts of stripes and colors. We bring them in and we pick their brains. They're shark brains. I'm Jake Newton. I'm your host. I'm a musician and an actor, and I've been doing it a long time. To some success, not as much as I would like. I don't know if it's ever going to be as much as I would like, but I would also like to be a homeowner at some point in my life without having to inherit my parents' house when they die. Wow, that got dark. Anyway, let's get back to the point. This is a podcast that's trying to divine truth from simple conversations. I bring my friends, compatriots, cohorts over. We talk about what it's like to tour, what it's like to make music in the 21st century, where it seems nobody really likes to buy things. We try to figure out where in the hell we're going to go. What's it look like? The ever-changing map that technology keeps shifting on us is keeping us all a little bit edgy. But I'm bringing over the experts, or at least peeper, peeper, I can't talk. Why can't I talk? It's okay. I had a little stroke there. It's my first time on the radio. Is this really a radio? No, it's a podcast. Stop trying to make it smaller, Jake. It's radio. It's, it's 21st century radio. Don't diminish yourself. Anyway, we're calling this Shark Brain because I had Epiphany a few weeks ago. I thought to myself, who are the successful people that I have met in my life? Are they intelligent? Are all of them preternaturally more talented than the rest of us? No. The one common factor is determination is a continual, juggernaut-like speed at which they move through life. They never stop. They keep going every single day. That's what it's like with everything. You know it. You felt it. It's that last 10 pounds. It's that book that you haven't finished. It's the project that you keep putting on the back burner. Shark Brain was born out of the idea of that sharks never stop swimming. They never stop moving. If they stop moving, they die. Water has to pass over their gills in order to breathe. Some species of shark don't even sleep. They just go into a quote-unquote restful state. The people that I'm bringing in here, the discussions that we're having, we're trying to figure out what it is that keeps people moving. What it is that keeps people from being their own worst enemy, from shutting down upon themselves, from allowing that creative spark within them to turn in upon itself like a snake eating its own tail. How do we do this? I don't know. We're going to figure it out. We're going to bring in friends to do it. The first friend of which is one of my oldest friends in Los Angeles. We've known each other for 10 plus years. I met him when I was doing acting, and he's been there through thick and thin for me. Any moment that I've needed legal advice as it pertains to music, any moment that I've had a question about my career, I've always run it by this guy. He's a bit of a guru, a guru that was raised on REM and Camel Lights and Coca-Cola. He's a good dude. And you get to hear the conversation that we had. We have an excellent rapport with each other. The guy brings light into any room that he comes into. He's a good person. I enjoy him. I know you're going to enjoy him. Carrie Brothers who also happens to be just one dude and not a series of gentlemen who came from the same womb. Let's get into it. It's Shark Brain. Open your ears. So, 
Carrie Brothers is in the study, I think I'll call it. The study. Because mm-hmm. of all the things that are in this room, books outnumber everything. Yeah, you do a lot of studying here. I do, I do. I really, actually, I do a lot of Googling. Um, <laughs> I kind of let the written word go to the wayside. Pretty much all I do is Google yeah. things. Exclusively, do you Google yourself? Uh, no, I stopped. I stopped that a long time ago. I remember when Google first happened, I was like, oh my God, I can see what's going on yeah. with my career. I think the problem with Googling yourself is that inevitably the first like four or five things you find are awesome. And you're like, oh my God, that's so nice. Somebody in Uruguay said that. Uh-huh. And then you find like the worst review of like an <laughs> old EP that just uh-huh. like crushes your soul. Just some angry, bitter fuck yeah. sitting in his parents' basements waiting for the hot pocket to be done after. Yeah, but it's seconds. like gambling. It's like you keep doing it and you keep doing it until yeah. you fucking lose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what happens when you lose. That's what uh, I learned. Dude. So when you started out, I mean, I was just getting to know you right about the time you threw yourself fully into music. Yeah. This was 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, yeah, your your ex-girlfriend was in a class with me and that's how we met. And mm-hmm. you said, we should, you should come over to the Hotel Cafe, check it out. It's a BYOB kind of a thing. Well, what actually happened was I saw you play guitar in a scene. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. Were, you were acting and, and I was like, ah, oh, this guy's... Like well, cheekbones over there is a pretty good actor, <laughs> and uh, and then you pulled out a guitar in the middle of the scene and started playing, and I was like, "Holy shit, he's a really good guitar player and singer." And that's when I I think I told you after I think we were drinking in a bar or something. Yeah, I was yeah, like yeah. I was like, "You're a really good actor, dude, but you're a really good musician." <laughs> so you know, yeah, dude. And then uh, and then I tried to, I got a few acting jobs, and I realized that uh, it wasn't everything i wanted it to be (laughs) and then i started playing music but yeah dude um you started out with uh what was the name of the first ep again it was uh Uh, all the rage all the rage yeah yeah. like i was like i was i was that was right about the time we met each other Mm -hmm. right how old were you You were 20 i was uh when did that come out i was 30 you were 30 yeah yeah i didn't even start doing this professionally until i was 30 that's the the joy of this whole thing for me is that I had a complete life before I started playing music. Well, dude, did you grow up like always wanting to be a musician or you just kind of like that was something that was hallowed and that you loved and you just kept like in the back of your mind? What was... Well, like, I mean, my family, it was like we always had a piano in the house. And my mm-hmm. mom and brother were great piano players. And I took piano lessons when I was a little kid, but um, piano just wasn't that cool to me. I mean, when you're a kid, you know, it's just like, what? And mm-hmm. I was like, and also I was like learning the songs I was learning were like, you know, I've had the time in my life. It's like, <laughs> don't, da, da, don't, da, da, don't, don't. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't love it. And so, but my brother had a guitar and when he took off for college, he left a guitar behind mm-hmm. and I started fiddling around on it and writing songs. And then I, my BMX bike was stolen when, uh, I was like 13, I think. Mm-hmm. And I used the insurance money to buy a guitar. Oh wow! So instead of becoming you know a freestyle BMX champion, yeah, like I should have been, yeah, I became a musician. Well, it's a good thing if you see the end of Rad, you know, it kind of works out okay for him, <laughs> but not really, you know. What a great film! Absolutely. But I, yeah, and I, um, I just kind of started playing, and I didn't really. I mean, I was growing up in Nashville, and it wasn't. I mean, therapy and um, talking about yourself weren't you know huge things in the South at the time yeah um and so i kind of i ended up writing songs as like a therapeutic thing mm-hmm. just for me yeah and i never really had you know i'm sure there was a little part of the back of my kid brain that had like rock and roll fantasies you know i definitely uh you know pete townsend off a couch or two mm-hmm. uh with a guitar when i was a kid but 
it was really just about like getting something out. I would write a song, I would finish it, and I would, you know, if I had a little four track, I'd record it and put it on the shelf, and that was it. Just leave it. And that, and no one has ever heard any of those things. Wow. Like they're all just, I have a box of like hundreds of tapes of wow. songs I wrote when I was a kid. Dude, that's strange. So you didn't, you didn't have any desire to perform them out, and were you like a class clown at all? Or were you just kind of like the guy in the corner? No, what, what really, was... I was kind of, I was a lot of different things when I was a kid. I was like, you know, I think if you talk to people I grew up with, some people would say like, oh, he was really like outgoing and fun and mm. popular. And some people would be like, that guy was a fucking loser. Uh-huh. Um, I think it just, I I kind of, uh, I had, I kind of just kept changing a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, a dad, and, you know, puberty hits you and you kind of braces and chub chub. And yeah, then yeah. I, you know, hated myself for a while. But I mean, everybody goes through that stuff. But I, I think I was never like one thing. I was never like the class clown mm-hmm. or like the jock or the, um, I was like everyone in the Breakfast Club rolled into one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> including the girl with the dandruff. And yeah, she makes, yeah. yeah I, snowing. I, I, I can sense that. I mean, I, I did a similar thing growing up. I had kind of had an isolated period where I didn't really have any friends. I had a core group of friends that I was kind of the the last, the fifth wheel on, right. and I constantly was kind of getting spun out of their gravitational force. <laughs> <laughs> Always getting like, hey, what'd you guys do? You were all in this, you we all well, went to go see went to that party? Oh, where was I? <laughs> Which created a complex for my later life as an adult, but you know. <laughs> well, I think I like being I like being alone a lot, yeah. and it, I don't, to me, being alone isn't like a negative thing. Some people are like, "Oh, like lonely." Being alone means lonely. Well, to you... me, being alone means I get to make stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what I this room to, is right here. Yeah, yeah. This I is... get to I get to have time to disappear. Yeah, and I still need that to this day. Like I, this is the biggest problem with touring for me is that constantly being surrounded by people mm-hmm. twenty four hours a day. I just start to go apeshit. Oh, yeah. I want to. I want to just run. Yeah, try it, touring and then being married too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what are you doing with your day? I have an idea. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, and so I think in that alone time, I would just write all the time, and and it wasn't until I got to college that I, I had a college band for a little while. Um, Where'd you go to college? At Northwestern yeah, in yeah. Chicago, and uh, and kind of did that. But I mean, it was mostly like party band mm-hmm. you know and we'd play like velvet underground we played velvet underground and almond brothers covers what? in the same set which makes no sense at all but it's just the guys in that band honestly if if i knew what i know now i would have made that band become professional because mm-hmm. it was i mean incredibly talented guys but whom we rehearsed like you know once every six months yeah and we go play you know bars and stuff in chicago and but uh, and made some money doing it too, which was great, you know, in college when you need that mm-hmm. beer money. Um, yeah. But uh, it was, but even after that, I just went back. To, I was always such a film nerd, and there was a part of my brain that was like, "I'm going to make movies. I'm going to make movies," and that's what I ultimately came out to Los Angeles to do. Did you go to like the Northwestern? Did you major in film? What did you major? Um, in? I was an English major. Me I too. Was, I was a theater major for one week, but I hated all the theater majors, so uh-huh. I quit that. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't want to find my inner dog or giraffe yeah. or whatever they do in those classes. I was, I was a fox. That's what I felt. Yeah. <laughs> <A fox. laughs> Stone um, cold fox. And I, uh, I didn't, I, I became an English major. I just, I was always a writer. Yeah. That's the one thing I knew how to do when I was in high school. Like we had a great English program. My English teacher was like a real mentor to me when mm-hmm. I was one of the few kind of mentors I had. And so that felt very comfortable. Like I would write other people's papers. Hmm. You know, friends of mine who couldn't write would come in and be like, dude, I wouldn't write the whole thing. But they'd be like, I have no idea how to structure this. And I'd wow. be like, I'll just do this, this, and this. And I realized I just knew how to write. So that was that was 
that was a very comfortable thing for me. And so that was my focus. And then on the side, I was doing film projects and theater stuff with friends mm -hmm. who were in the RTVF and theater department just for fun. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of building up and then interning at like MTV and when I was in the summers in college. Oh, wow. Dude. Which is ridiculously fun. Dude, that's amazing. That's a lot of people came out of that Northwestern, that, that small. Yeah, there's like a mafia of people. I mean, when I look back and I can, I can like close my eyes and think of a party right now, or I think of like a night of going to like two parties where between like Zach Braff, mm -hmm. you know, and Seth Meyers, who's on Saturday Night Live now, and Catherine Hahn, who's in all the Anchorman movies and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, and just all these people, and a lot of TV show creators and. It's, I don't know what it was, but there's a period of like two or three years of people that were um, very, that were very inspired to achieve. Yeah. And we all knew each other and maybe saw it in each other. And that's why we all hung out. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I moved out to LA, I moved out to primarily do film and started like immediately kind of got in with the right people and started a production company. And I did that for a while and produced these like little indie, you know, kind of uh, film festival movies. And then I just hit a point where I, I realized, oh, no, I'm going home and I'm writing music every night. And then I'm waking up and helping a writer and, or director realize their dreams. Yeah. Why am I not doing that for myself? Mm -hmm. And, sh you know, shut down the whole thing. And like after I'd built like at an office, you know, I had like a, an assistant and like it was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I was like I was fully like running a company and um and I, I just couldn't do it anymore. I hated, I hated the process of it because I was yeah. realizing I was, I was, I'd come up with the song idea and I'd write the song and then I'd record it. And the final version of the song was 90% what the original intention was when I started doing it, at least if not a hundred percent versus a film, you start, you work so hard to get the screenplay together. And then there are a thousand people whose tiny decisions and choices yeah. affect what happens to that initial idea and it's never some ways in good, sometimes it's a good thing but mostly in a bad way it's not what you want it to be yeah. and i wanted to streamline the process of creativity and the only way for me to do that was music and i realized music was the thing that i just always did it yeah i couldn't remember not coming home and picking up a guitar and i was like why am i not doing this for a living yeah and i think it was a lot of it was the fear of the stage in a way because i just didn't do that i wasn't i wasn't i never thought of myself as like an outgoing person who could get up on stage and do See, something that's strange because like you you may or may not be aware of the fact that uh, you've kind of achieved a sort of uh a sort of uh happy guru status <laughs> in our circle i mean anytime somebody's got a problem anytime it's like like something needs to happen like everybody goes like well you did you run that by carrie <laughs> you should get his ears on that um, thing um, and they're going like come my child let me tell you but no you that it makes perfect sense because you had lived that entire life now going back just a little bit about that like you had the office you had the assistant like was there a carterizing moment where you actually felt like like holy shit i can't do this anymore or yeah, i mean I, I it was it just it was a slow build yeah it was a slow build before i just realized like there's something else in me to do mm -hmm. and it's not happening where i am and it was crazy like you know I'd worked so hard to build this like career and then I just threw it away yeah, and started all over again or when I was like 29 mm -hmm. and you know, my parents like, what are you doing? Like mm -hmm. what? And I was like, Hey mom and dad, I'm going to shut down this company that I started and my life 
what I thought was my life dream, and I'm going to start playing open mics for free and working as a camera assistant and, like, picking up trash on sets as a PA. Oh, man. They're like, oh, that's great, Gary. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Uh, let, let us know when you hit it's the It's like, the, oh, oh, you figured out a way to make money in film. Let's see, what's the other hardest thing to make money doing? <laughs> oh, music. That'll be great. There you go. There you go. Dude, it's, it takes some serious balls, man. Well, I, listen, I look back now, and I'm like, it, it seems like balls, but at the time, it was just necessary. Yeah. At the time, it was, it was just like... I I realized if I was homeless, I'd still be playing guitar. Mm-hmm. If I was, you know, whatever, I, if I was an accountant, I would still be playing guitar. Mm-hmm. So I needed to, it was, I just, I, I think I had this moment of, um, and which has kind of been with me, one of the main reasons I make choices I make is just no regrets. I didn't want to have, I didn't want to be 70 years old. And even if I was a 70-year-old movie producer or whatever I would be doing and not having had the opportunity to try to do something with the music, all this music I was writing. Yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense that now, now hearing that, you know, when uh, that the kid stays in the picture thing came out <laughs> yeah. and you kind of had the, like, you're like, dude, you got to see this. And I was like, what's the big deal with this? And I'm going like, okay, now I get it. Like that's, you know, so much of that could have been, I mean, hell, I, I sympathize too. I, you know, I did two or three movies and realized rather quickly I did some indie stuff and then I did like the big stuff, you know? Right. And, uh, and I realized rather quickly in both instances, you are just helping someone else out with their vision. Right. Well, I mean, it can be fun. I mean, it's, it, you, can, <coughs> you have your own contribution to it. But like, I just, I mean, I've always been the kind of guy that's, you know, at a certain point, go like, all right, you're not fulfilling what I want to do. I right. want to take my well, ball I mean, and go I home. I mean, I think everybody makes a choice in their life in some way that it's like, I'm going to be the person that does it or I'm going to be, the, I'm going to, I'm fine being someone who's going to help someone else do it. Yeah. And both of those are fine choices mm-hmm. and you can have a great life and you can make money and you can have creatively fulfilling and all those things, but it's just a different personality type. Mm-hmm. And in a way I was, I thought I was the person that was supposed to help people. And I was like, no, I need to do this stuff for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when did it start to really get the ball rolling? You were doing open mics. I remember, uh, you, you were doing like, like stuff in North Hollywood. You were yeah, like, I was Highland Ground shitty Cafe. places. And, but then like there was, there was like an open mic scene in LA. Um, that's like right around 2001, 2002. Yeah. It was like yeah. this place called the crooked bar. That was under the Coconut Teaser, which used to be like the metal shop Dude, on I Sunset on Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, and uh, the Crooked Bar was just for some reason that was it was I was very near the house where I was living at the time, so I would just pick up my guitar and go play open mics there. And it was just I just I was so excited. Mm-hmm. I was so excited, and not in like a dick way, but like I, I've been. It's like I had been preparing for this my entire life. And I suddenly looked at all these people around me that had been preparing for this for a couple of years. And I, I was like, I can do this better than, I don't know if I can do this better than everybody, but I can do it better than these guys. Yeah. And so that felt good, you know, mm-hmm. just being like, oh, okay, I, I'm pretty sure my song is better than that guy's song. <laughs> like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. I don't, don't want to rub it in his face. I don't want to rub it in his face, but it's like, I feel, it just confidence, you know, yeah. I just built playing with people who were just starting after having years of kind of preparation for it, it felt. I felt a real confidence in that. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> and I was playing open mics for a while. And, you know, there are people like Alexi Murdoch and Joe Purdy and all these people that were kind of floating L.A. guys mm-hmm. and who have done quite well for themselves that were kind of floating around in that world. And then one day I heard Mad World by Gary Jules mm-hmm. and loved that song so much after it was in the Donnie Darko soundtrack. And my roommate, Jason Kanakis, who played guitar with me, Kanakis, I was like, I was like, have you heard this song? We couldn't stop talking about this song. 
And I went online and found out that he was playing a residency at this place with the Hotel Cafe. And I was like, what's the hotel? I mean, I live in Hollywood and I've mm-hmm. never heard of this place. And went to the Hotel Cafe and it was like, it was a tiny room with, I don't think there's any air conditioning. Uh, people were just packed in and like sitting on the floors for these shows. But like buckets of beer, it was BYOB, buckets of beer, bottles of wine, like sitting on the floor next to your date, mm-hmm. like smoking cigarettes. And just, it felt like, I felt like I was walking into like the village in the yeah. 60s, in the late 60s. There was just that energy. And it was it had nothing to do with what was happening outside on the streets in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It was like its own thing. And I just immediately felt so comfortable in that room. And I saw Gary play a couple times. And then I walked up to him after a show and I was like, man, I got to play this place. Like, how do you play this place? And he was like, uh, Sunday night, come do a, we're doing like an open mic kind of thing here, songwriter showcase, play three songs and I'll see what I think of you. Mm-hmm. And I worked so hard that week. I mean, I remember like, I can, I can remember like the feeling in my gut this day. I remember driving over there and listening to, um, and listening to Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's. I just remember, like, I literally remember, like, the moment. It felt like there was purpose to this yeah. moment. Like, if I do this right, something in my life is going to change. And played, like, three songs. And afterwards, Gary's like, okay, uh, yeah, so uh, you're going to open for me in, like, two weeks. Bad. And that was it. Yeah. And it was, and then. What? And, yeah. and it felt, like I was like, I did it. Yeah, it felt like you know I got the movie or I got the job or mm-hmm. I got the, and, and getting approval and I mean Gary's a good buddy of mine now but like at the time I he was like this mythic you know, mythic kind yeah. of dude, and uh, getting a, that approval was a big deal. Yeah, you know because you don't kind of get that very much. You either sell records or you don't, or people more people come to your shows or they don't. But that moment of like someone saying I I believe in what you're doing was a big deal, and it's 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 a it's informed the way i've been in a musician as a musician like mm-hmm. when i find someone that i want to support i will support the hell out of them because that happened to me um so i started playing at the hotel cafe and at the time there are all these kind of all those guys who were playing open mics and all these people moving to town were largo was the big venue at the time yeah that was kind of the older generation like amy mann and michael mm-hmm. penn and and then all the comedy all people, the comedy alternative Oswald comedy people yeah. and sarah silverman and stuff and that that was like the that scene was happening Mm. and this was like the new thing we were like we were like the kids and all these musicians started to show up and we would just all meet at the bar Mm -hmm. like what are you where are you from oh you're from arkansas oh you're from and playing shows together and it was this very friendly competitive atmosphere Mm -hmm. i mean we were encouraging each other but at the same time the guy who just played before you kicked ass so you got to go up there and deliver Mm -hmm. So that the guy after you feels like he has to deliver. Exactly. And there was a there was momentum to those evenings of music, and out of that we just kind of all became friends and formed. That's kind of where the initial hotel cafe kind of family came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've been there ever since. Yeah, I came. I kind of came around like two thousand five, two thousand six. Once like everybody. Like when the limos started to show up, you know, <laughs> right about that time, whenever like the, when the suits, the guys chomping on the cigars said like, "There's money in them, their hills." Right. Kind of came, started sniffing around, and it was a it was a fucking gold rush, dude. Yeah. Remember right, right about that time? It was just before the peak, and everybody like, at any given moment, somebody could come up to you, tap you on the shoulder, and say, "Oh, by the way, here's the better part of twenty thousand right. dollars. Thank you for the song." 
it was just it was it was madness and so there was this hyper frenetic kind of stuff and like people not necessarily getting jealous but just like like there was this excitement this tingling that at any moment you could win the lottery yeah well i mean there was a i mean at that time that was right after you know right before around that time like I had gotten my song Blue Eyes on the Garden State soundtrack, That's which, right. you know, that came from, which in a way came from the film stuff I'd done because I had worked with Zach on that script, mm-hmm. helping him like in editing and on that script for a few years. Really? So, and that was, and you know, I was, I, there was a moment probably where I could have produced that movie if I had stayed in that mm-hmm. other world. Um, and Zach heard Blue Eyes, and he was like, I want to put that song in the movie. And then we sat around with, you know, stacks of CDs at Zach's house. You know, it was like, we saw Colin Hay at Largo. Okay, let's put that Colin Hay song in there. And we saw Remy Zero at Viper Room. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, my God, we got to put that Remy Zero song in there. And he was very open to everyone's ideas. But, I mean, he was ultimately making the final decisions. But it was just a really cool kind of, it was like a bunch of friends. I've said it before, but it's like it was, really was like a bunch of friends making a mixtape that Zach was, like, curating. Yeah. And it was this very organic thing, and we put it out in the world. And then next, you know, and I was just happy to have a song in my friend's movie. I never thought there would be a soundtrack. Yeah. I never thought it would find any success. It would be the when, definitive soundtrack. When an soundtrack. actual CD came out, I was so excited uh-huh. to have my name on that CD. I was like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then it just started selling. They didn't advertise it at all. They didn't market it. It just, I, remember, I lived across the street from the, Virgin Megastore on Sunset, and I would go every Saturday or every Sunday and listen to new music when they had the little headphone things you could listen mm-hmm. to new CDs. Instead, because I didn't have enough money to buy them, so I would just <laughs> go listen to them. And I remember walking in there and looking at the CD for the first time, and I was so happy. And then uh, the next week I went by, and it was number 25. On the back wall, they had one through 25, these big displays. Right. And it was number 25. And I was like, oh my God. Next week I came back, it was number 15. Next week I came back, it was number five. Next week it was number one. And it just happened. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, like I said, it wasn't marketed. Yeah. It wasn't, it just kind of organically happened. I mean, I'll never experience anything like that for the rest of my life. Probably not. But out of that very organic thing created the idea that, okay, these independent, these indie bands mm-hmm. that were on the fringe can sell. So they start, you know, more of those songs started to be put in TV shows and, um, Suddenly, like you said, it was it was it was a gold mine time, yeah. and but the problem is, it changed. You know, the hotel for the hotel cafe. Like, I mean, when I would have when you know, music supervisor would call me and be like, "Let's have dinner, let's do lunch." I'd be like, "No, come to the hotel cafe, mm-hmm. and come see." You know, like Josh Raden or somebody, some friend of mine would be playing, and afterwards I'd get his CD and put one of his songs on the shows, and it was like I was trying to use what success I had had and bring that world to the hotel cafe to help my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately that world, um, you know, where there's money, it corrupts to some degree. And suddenly I was meeting musicians that were moving to LA to write songs so they could get on TV shows, yeah. not to express themselves and because of the therapeutic reasons or because of a breakup or whatever. Yeah because their love of rock and roll they were writing like oh, yeah i really you know i've been listening you know, i really feel like i've got that and you can hear it mm-hmm. you can hear the song just it's bullshit mm-hmm. that someone is literally writing so they can i mean I, i've been lucky just because i was such a film nut and loved film scores when i was a kid i think that informs my music a little bit so i naturally just put some of that in it mm-hmm. um because it's what i love 
but I've never, I mean, I can't imagine sitting down. I've just never written anything that wasn't, that I didn't absolutely 100% care about. Yeah. Personally. No, I, I, have, I have the same problem. I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. There, there were times where like, you know, you go with that whole Nashville vibe of things where there's, it's a, a certain number of people, usually under five in the room, they all get together and they pull out their notepads and they say like, so who is this person want to, I'm like, how, right. how, no, but how do you do and, that? And I, and I, I appreciate the song craft mm-hmm. of being able to do that. Like oh, there's, great. there's like an old Brill building, you know, jingle writer kind yeah. of vibe. Where yeah. It's the like, Tin Pan Alley, like, like let's, yeah. let's hammer this right. out. We can do this. Yeah. And, and it sounds authentic. And in the voice, then they put it in the voice of a singer who is so good mm-hmm. that that singer would make it yeah. even more authentic. But when it's in the hands of like a 22 year old person with acoustic guitar who doesn't really have a voice and their voice is trying to get on songs on TV shows, then it just sucks. It's amazing the bullshit detector that people have, the immediacy that you can actually pull that out. I mean, you can get it before like the second line of the first verse. Right. Well, I mean, you work, you work at the hotel cafe. So you see, I, you see more of this stuff than I do. It's, well, it's, there's several times where you you see all the influence and you see where they're not making it and you see their motivation behind it. And yeah, it's, it's a, I don't suffer fools gladly anymore. I mean, it takes a lot to impress me now. Like, I would say not because not just because I've I've seen a lot, but because you know I've just seen too much, right? You know, and you get to that certain point where you crave authenticity, and I think you know, rarely does a record do that for me. Like your music has done that for me on several different occasions. That new the new Civil Wars several times on this, yeah. thing. It just crushes. I mean, and to have friends, you know, that you know that do that, it's amazing. You kind of go like, how on earth? I just, I just talked to you about getting coffee and how are you doing that when I'm not talking to you? What are you <laughs> yeah, doing? No, it's, no it's strange. It's like when people, because, you know, a lot of the stuff I've written is emotional, mm-hmm. um, pretty emotional music. And the irony of my whole thing is that I didn't grow up listening to singer-songwriters. Yeah, I grew up listening to, I think my way in was that, A, I had an acoustic guitar and didn't have any money, so I couldn't electrify, not, I couldn't electrify it and create a band. I couldn't pay and didn't have enough money to pay anybody. So it was almost like what I wrote was the mellow songs of my favorite bands. Yeah. Like You Two, All I Want Is You, or The Smiths, Please Please Let Me Get What I Want, mm-hmm. or like Replacement Skyway, like those yeah. songs. I, that's what I knew is like, okay, well, if you got to strip it down, then what would my favorite band do for mm-hmm. the sat? And I ended up making, you know, a lot of those kind of songs. Mm-hmm. And the further I get, the more money comes in so I can afford to make the sound bigger, the more I'm actively kind of doing it. But I, yeah, I just, I'm not, generally speaking, I don't, I've never really loved singer songs. Yeah. <laughs> I can sympathize And that's that. where it's like being one is like, you know, or being, kind of being tagged as one is mm-hmm. a very strange thing for me because I try to do much more than that. But at the end of the day, you know, people always come back to that, oh, that piano ballad. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, dude, that's the hard thing with like Spotify or, or iTunes or any of that. They have these algorithms that basically are like, hey, if you liked, right. if you liked Carrie Brothers, you'll love. And half the time, I'll look on that and I'll go like, oh, really, me? I don't, I, like, do, like, if you love that, then why don't you just like, you know, Alt J? Could you like Alt or like maybe a little Radiohead? Right. Well, I need to be weirder, man. I need to like start. No, we all just start painting weirder. my pants and you know more drugs. Absolutely, face absolutely. paint. Well, dude, I wanted to talk to you about like, you know, it is a personal thing. You're not able. You're a lot of your work. All of your work pretty much comes directly from you know either heartache or personal experience from all that stuff. How are you able to to pull yourself 
oh, up and away in a gestalt view of looking down. You just said gestalt. I did say gestalt. I'm, I'm learned. Do you see those books over there? I know, there? you're yeah. smart. <laughs> uh, you're, how are you able to, to get a, an arcane view of everything and then say to the, you know, people like, here's this, I'm going to sell this, you know, and, and hear the negative stuff here, just people going like, eh, it's not really quite right for the show without taking every single one of those as a pinprick to the heart. Because you have to understand, I was doing it for 20 years by myself in a room. Hmm. No one's criticism is ever going to be harder than my criticism <laughs> of myself. You know, it's like, I, so it's like a shitty review means, I mean, it's like, oh, it would have been cool if that person liked yeah. it, but like. If I put something out in the world and a year later I listen to it, I can, and there, there's something I don't like about something. I, I know that. Yeah. I don't need anybody else to tell me that. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, it's, it's just like wisdom of age, man. Like I understand what I'm doing and I understand who it appeals to. And that's cool with me. And yeah. I just kind of built a life of, uh, of, a, a, so far it's been a very kind of specific kind of audience likes what I do. And the great, I mean, listen, the great thing about having, you know, the, having gotten in the film and TV world when I did is that I don't have to, I can, I do it independently. Mm -hmm. I can afford to run my own label and write exactly what I want to write with no one telling me what to do. Someone comes to me and says, Hey, this is going to work great on this TV show or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and I grew up loving John Hughes movies and loved hearing pop songs and, like enhanced scenes that I loved in films when I was a kid. So I, I mean, God bless, like you use that. Yeah. It's not, it does not affect artistically. It doesn't affect me at all. Mm -hmm. I'm because I'm not, I've already done it. Mm -hmm. They're using what I've already done. So if that goes out in the world and then plays that TV show plays across the world and then I get fans in places that I can't even pronounce, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's, it's, amazing well yeah i guess, it's I, guess I mean it's it's a lot of it is luck and a lot of it is and it, the, the thing that sucks now is that so many you know i get a lot of singer songwriter kind of people coming to me and like how can i do this and i'm like i if i could bottle like whatever thing it is about my music that yeah. makes it filmic or like i would sell it and, yeah. I, and you know teach people how to do it and make money i guess um well, you know that they say those that can't do teach, so you probably wouldn't be doing that. You'd just you'd still be doing <laughs> right. it, man. You'd still be fucking like, doing like it anyway. waking up at noon and cracking open a coke and like uh, yeah, going for it and then sending it out into the world. But it's right. it's I've just I've I've built this. I've worked very hard to build this very specific yeah. kind of career for myself. Um, and do you think that's beca like because you started when you were thirty? Like that you actually had a bit of like life under your belt? Yeah, well, there was never, I don't think there was ever a part of me. If I'd started this when I was 22, I would have wanted to be a rock star mm -hmm. and I would have wanted to be famous and it would have been about getting people's attention, I imagine. Yeah. Versus doing it when I was older, I've already got family and friends mm -hmm. that I love. I don't need anybody's love. I'm not trying to fill a black hole in my heart from some <laughs> awful thing that happened. And you know what? A lot of people are. And a lot of the greatest musicians that ever lived are. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like dark stuff in there that drives them and makes them interesting, makes them interesting as personalities. But I think having lived a full life before I started doing this, I didn't, I don't, I don't need to be famous. Mm -hmm. I need, what I need is to write music mm -hmm. and create songs. Like, you know, like even it's the same thing as it was when I was like, you know, 14 years old with a four track writing songs. Like I, it's about finishing that song. 
and putting it on the shelf. So yeah. now instead of putting it on the shelf, I put it out in the world and I found a way to make money. That's but, interesting. The, but the process of writing and finishing that song is the most important thing in the world to me. It's so much more important than playing a live show. It's more important than, I mean, that is what makes me, that is what really makes me happy in life. And the only time, I saw this something the other day, it was like, the only time I contemplate my mortality is when I haven't mixed and mastered a song yet. Because really? I don't want to die before that song's done. <laughs> <laughs> then they have to be released like sketches for my sweetheart, yeah. the drunk, that bad Jeff yeah, Buckley yeah. second record. I'm just like, I'm just like, I literally will like be driving, listening to like mixes, and and I'll hear and I think it's done. I'm like, oh no, I got to change that thing. And I'm like, I Ten don't want to get in a car wreck before two. I get home because <laughs> if I die, this song will never be done. Oh, uh, not the way you want to do it. That's interesting because I I I was gonna segue into like, how do you how did you get to the ideology of treating this like a job, like a, like a, a work a day thing? You're, you you grind them out, dude. You're one of those guys that basically every time I'm talking to you, you're in the middle of a new project. Personally, me, I might be one of those guys that need love from strangers. Right. I don't necessarily want to interact with people, but I want to get in front of them right. and have them want to tear me apart with desire for myself. Right. So that, you know, yeah. is... <laughs> well, like I said, everybody's doing it in yeah. different ways, but I think mine is safer as far i mean as far as being a human That's being long haul stuff man yeah but it's like it's like i am in less danger of because i don't need that mm. i'm i don't um if things go wrong it's not going to kill yeah. me well i'm going i'm going to professional to try to get back to the, <laughs> get, get to a certain semblance of a realistic goal not to be one of torn to flesh i don't know but uh dude uh so take me to the song process for you like where does it come from for you? I mean, we all have our different ways of doing it. Like more often than not, like you're just kind of grabbing it from the ether or what's I, man, I wish I, I, it's weird. It's like, I almost don't even know. I, it, I'll just something. I always like to have a guitar in my hand after midnight mm-hmm. at some point, if not every night, every few nights. Yeah. And it's usually those nights. I mean, anytime I sit down and say, I'm going to write a song tonight, nothing happens. Yeah. But some nights I'll be driving home or I'll be out on my porch and just some weird little idea will come in my head. And I'm like, that sounds kind of... So, I'll, you know, I'll pick up my little recorder thing, my guitar. And now I always record everything. Yeah. Because I've lost so many good ideas because I was, came home drunk and uh-huh. like was like, that's I'll the best song it. I've ever written. Pass out on the couch. <laughs> wake up the next morning like, no. <laughs> um, uh, and I'll just kind of... it's To me it's all melody yeah it's all like the the pro, the first stage is all melody i'm like figuring out the chord structure and how to where that melody fits over it's about where that first is the melody and then what chords are going to be the bed for that melody mm-hmm. and then i just start humming things yeah you know i just start like throwing out weird whatever words come consonants to me consonants and stuff yeah and like it's about the yeah it's about the consonants and the vowels and where everything fits um uh, rhythmically and it's then i kind of yeah, i kind of shape it from there and then the, the funny thing about being someone who is an english major is the worst thing is having to finish the lyrics because oh. i feel like i have to write a paper i yeah. feel like i'm back in school again mm-hmm. and i'm like like every producer i've ever worked with is like dude just seriously yeah. like finish these lyrics and i'm like i'll have a chorus mm-hmm. you know i'll have most of it done but it's, I mean, it reminds me of being back in school and like having, I mean, I'll, if I have a one, if I have to be in the studio at 1 p.m. to sing the lyrics, you know, to sing the song, 
um, inevitably, I will have slept two hours and literally finished the final lyrics of the song at 1230 mm-hmm. as I'm jumping in my car to go to the studio. Some of the best do that, man. That's that, That's just that last minute, you know, getting under the wire like Indiana Jones grabbing his hat from oh, underneath yeah. the rolling door, <laughs> man. Dude, I... I I can sympathize with that. I think for a long time I had a hard time with second verses. I was like, well, I kind of already did that part. Right. You know, why are we doing this again? But, uh, and then I had a problem with like nine verses, which is, you know, I, I had a big Dylan phase, which right. you know, like, is, I, I <laughs> see, this is why up. the nice thing about not having yeah. been in singer songwriters is that yep. I don't care about that. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you can free, you emancipate yourself from the mental slavery of that. Dude, I was an English major too. I I didn't know that about you. I thought that you were a you were a film guy, but that's Mm-mm. that's interesting. A lot of these guys, a lot of uh, us singer songwriters, to you know quote, yeah, do the English major thing. Who who are the influences that you were listening to when or listening to uh, who you're reading when you're reading stuff for English? Um, I I'm such. The worst thing about it now is that I am so far away from that world. Yeah. I was like a big Nabokov guy. Yeah. Um, and I love the Faulkner stuff just because it reminded me of the weird Southern, yeah, the creepy weird Southern stuff. Did you get Thomas Wolfe at all? A little bit. Yeah, he's kind of um, got that. He's from Asheville, I think, or something. But like. I, I was, I did it because, and the, the worst thing is that it, it became a thing to me where it being an English major was not about my love of reading anymore. Hmm. It was about I could write. I could analyze well. Okay. And so I would like almost mathematically, because when I first started reading, I loved books. I loved diving into these worlds. And then the more I realized, the more my brain started to get on music and film, then I was an English major, so I had to finish. Mm-hmm. So I would almost mathematically analyze these books, and I could do it. And yeah. then, but the problem is, I would, they wouldn't stick with me like reading used to. And I, I really regret that. Yeah. That I and I want to go back and revisit a lot of this stuff that I, I went through to get a good grade or not get a good grade. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah, cases because I was turned papers in super late all the time. Um, but yeah, my I mean my influence, my influence in terms of music just comes from music. Yeah, that really like literature really doesn't. You don't have a, you don't hold a higher standard to lyrics when you hear it from other people, just from. From doing the the thing, or is the, the two aren't related. No, I mean I, I do. Mm-hmm. I mean I I have I mean I have a decent enough. I I I very much appreciate the fact that I have a good enough vocabulary. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily use it. I mean that's the thing. I don't think that is just because you're an English major and you know you don't have to use big words. Yeah. All the time. But I I mean I've I'm so humbled in the last few days because uh, I'm playing a Elvis Costello benefit show. Dude. Or Elvis Costello tribute show at uh, the Satellite in Silver Lake next oh, Tuesday, oh, and I'm going to that one. And I'm playing, like I'm gonna do like three songs, and they're like, "Do you want to do this thing?" I was like, "Yeah." They're like, "Pick Elvis Costello song." I was like, "I have no idea how to pick," and I because I love so many Elvis Costello songs, and so I did like a day of falling back into Elvis Costello and reading. Like reviews of his, you know, this is the Google thing. Yeah, and I'm just reading mm-hmm. reviews of records and going to this and going to the lyrics page and then playing a couple songs that I hadn't played in years. 
And it made me feel like the worst songwriter. In the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, he's he was so. I mean, like, my aim is true. Actually, I have my aim is true hanging up in there. Yeah, yeah but it, yeah, it's he's a phenomenal and a wonderful raconteur. Like, watch any of that show that he did, the mm-hmm. spectacle. It's phenomenal. He's 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 you know one of these preternatural minds. And half the time with those guys, you kind of go, why didn't you get into like policy reform? Right. Yeah. You know what? exactly. You're you're too smart are you too smart yeah. for this job <laughs> but i mean at the same time he you he didn't get in policy form because you see like that when he was on saturday night live mm-hmm. and he goes up to play um i think less than zero was his, was his first yeah. single and then he did radio right? and he's like and he starts playing less than zero and there's a line about oswald because it was the i guess it was the fascist that he wrote the song about mm-hmm. But he's and as he's playing, it realizes that American audiences are going to think he's talking about Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, and he just stops the song and he's like, "This song is not for you. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry, everyone." And he's like, one, two, radio, radio, radio. And it was like so badass mm-hmm. and so anti-authoritarian, and and I mean, he got banned from Saturday Night Live for like ten years. Because oh, I don't of know, that. Got yeah. banned. Lauren Michaels is like, "You're never on the show again. I'm, you're never on the show <laughs> ever again, dude." <laughs> But I mean, that's. But then again, I mean, I think that's why he, you know, mm. he didn't. He didn't do the other side because. But he's did you see that twenty that uh, that celebratory twenty five years of Saturday Night Live when the Beastie Boys were about to go into sabotage? Yeah, and, and they they redid the yeah. radio radio thing. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was <laughs> just. Uh, I mean, Lorne Michaels just needed to leave and do Kids in the Hall for a while and cool out and stop doing so much blow, and then he came. Yeah, back and come was, back and wise up. Yeah, man. Mm. Well, cool, dude. I think we're clocking in pretty good. Dude, thank you for coming in, man. Absolutely, dude. Dude, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, carrybrothers.com. Go check them out. Thanks, world. So how about that? What a good dude. What a great conversation. It's good to sit down with an old friend and find out stuff about them that you never knew or would have never known you didn't just sit down and stare at each other's faces. It was awesome. Afterwards, we turned off the mics, went into the living room, and he showed us, uh, my wife and I, some of his music that he's been working on lately. It's great stuff. You guys are going to love it. I'm not going to give away any more than that. He's keeping it safe and sacred. Wouldn't do that. Not to my old buddy, Kerry Brothers. Go to sharkbrainpodcast.com for episodes and information where you can leave comments and you can send email to sharkbrainpodcast at gmail.com. Go to jakenewton.com where you can listen to my music, buy CDs, t-shirts, merch. Send emails. Listen, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what uh, your thoughts are on the show. I want to hear what your thoughts are on a variety of things. Let's get some human connection going. It's 2013. It's been made convenient for us to talk to each other. We should actually do it. What do you think, huh? All right. Every single Monday, we're going to be putting out one of these So check back, sign up for the mailing list, get connected. Thank you so much for listening to this entire podcast. I really appreciate it from the bottom of my neurotic heart.